0: Hello, and welcome to the Spirit Studios podcast. My name's Al, and in this episode of Talking Music Business, I'm co-hosting with fellow Spirit Studios tutor, David Cameron Pry. We're joined by special guest Stephen Kempner, who is a music and entertainment lawyer and a partner at UK law firm Statham Gill Davis. Stephen shares with us his fantastic insights into the world of music law, giving us a legal perspective on things like artist contracts, 360 deals, sampling, and more. So have you been busy then
1: during these times? I mean, a lot of people I know in the industry have experienced a big slowdown, obviously,
2: over the last year, but they're gearing up again. What about yourself? I've been very fortunate, actually. It's been really busy throughout um, the whole of the lockdown. I've barely had a day off, actually. it's. It's probably been busier in the last year than the year before, strangely. So I think I've found you know, the labels and the publishers have all been very active over the whole period, so there's
0: been a lot to do. So, Steve, could you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get started and how did you get to where you are now?
2: Well, I, I used to work for record companies before I was a lawyer, actually, but I used to do promotions at the, okay. the old BMG and the former EMI. What type of promotions, Steve? What do you mean? Um, I used to go around the shops actually uh, oh, in my car. Um, you were a rat. Charts, I think it was called. But uh, ah, yeah. So uh, I used to do that, um, and then I decided I'd had enough of the music industry and uh, went back to uh, uni uh, to do a law degree. And it just so happened that I got recommended into um, my former firm. Yeah, it's just just very fortunate, really. I wasn't looking to become a music lawyer. I was interested in other areas of law, actually. So it was by chance, really, as much as anything. And um, yeah, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. I guess. Wow. So when yeah. you do a law degree, do you have to do
1: a more general sort of study then you don't immediately specify?
2: Yeah, we, we yeah law degree is very varied. And then you go and do a thing called the LPC, which is the more practical one year course. Uh, and then you go on to do two years of articles after that. But you don't have to do a law degree, you can do any degree now and, and you can do a one year conversion course and become a lawyer that way. Ah. Some people look more favourably on that.
1: Excellent. I mean, from the last time we spoke, when you were seemed to be just music, I think, you do seem to have expanded your client roster to include TV and sports personalities. Does that itself require a different legal knowledge? Or have you found that your music law grounding has been transferable
2: expertise-wise? Um, yeah, I mean, that's just sort of things that I've developed over the years, really. It's all uh, very much rights-based and intellectual property-based and... Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if you can see uh, Pele behind me. He was one of the, the bigger football players. Oh, was Pele one of yours, one of your clients? Yeah, so, uh, did lots of branding and sponsorship uh,
1: agreements for him. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, do you think the UK music industry will go the way of the American industry representation-wise? I mean, for instance, we've seen recent Big Anglo sort of American partnerships and mergers within the world of music agencies like colder pairing up and et etc the americans seem to treat entertainment as a whole with a big movie star sitting alongside musicians and stuff uh do you see the uk going more that way has it already started happening has it been happening for a bit it always seemed a bit separate to me
2: it has been separate i think you know some of the bigger agencies i think are sort of much more involved in other areas so uh, yeah i do see that happening i think that's You know, as I say, I can see why it would happen as well, just in the same way that, you know, lawyers uh, stray across those different areas as well, because they're all, you know, dealing with similar, similar issues.
1: You work a lot with UK major labels, and that's how we first met back in the day. You looked after a deal we were doing with Universal and EMI. You, You briefly mentioned before you've never been so busy. So... Does that mean the situation with labels and new signings is that the happening? Are they still looking at new acts? Are deals still being done with new talent?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely still quite a lot going on. You know, I mean, I think in you know in the sort of bands world, it's probably a little bit tougher sort of thing because you know a lot of them come through the live scene. Yeah, and that's definitely been more difficult, but. Um, you know, things like grime and things like that, obviously, yeah. It's a lot of money flying around. So a lot
1: of the more studio-based music that's coming out, uh production-based, is
2: still getting seen a lot quicker, do you reckon? Possibly, yeah. I think mean, that there's been a kind of a, a tendency, you yeah. know, for more of those sort of acts to be signed, uh, especially in the major labels anyway. But yeah, I know I'm still doing deals for bands, you know. Right. Yeah. When it comes to new...
0: An emerging artist, from your perspective is there a big difference between working with a new artist and working with an artist who's much more established in terms of perhaps the working relationship but also just the kind of work that you do with them
2: it can be um, it can be a lot more hands-on with um, the emerging artists but generally depends on um, whether they have management and the experience of the management because you know if they have an experienced manager then you know, a manager can take care of a lot of those kind of issues. It's where there isn't an experienced manager in place that perhaps we Mm. are called on a little bit more.
0: Kind of following on from that, you hear stories about um, artists signing kind of terrible deals and um, being taken advantage of because they don't really know their way around the industry. And I've always wondered, is there truth to that idea, that maybe that stereotype, or has it changed?
2: Um, I, I see less of it than, than I used to. I think, you know, I think very few um, labels, you know, publishers would be prepared to sign an artist that hasn't had legal advice, I think, really. So, you know, I think that you know, even the smaller labels will ensure that the artists get represented. So, you know, it's not quite... I don't see it as much as I used to. Right. You know, you do good. still see examples, obviously. Um Do you get
1: brought examples of bad deals to look over, Steve? Yeah, no, we do. I know I'm always trying to get a freebie off you
0: and throwing things under (laughs) your nose. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a particular area of music lore that's worth new artists looking into? You know, maybe just spending a bit of time researching a certain part that they could use that will have a lot of benefit to them?
2: Um,. I think just you know, just generally uh, understanding how you know just be you know, how that how the deals work really you know and get there are texts that you can buy that you know explain them in quite good detail, but you know I I would always encourage artists to kind of be interested to, in in what they're uh, what they're going to sign. I think mm-hmm. you know there's you know they can be very over reliant on the, their advisors you know and uh, and not really have much awareness of what of what. Getting into and then kind of regret it further down the line. So, I agree with um, that,
1: Steve. Would you say the main four pillars of a deal are still quite a thing to know about? You know, term, usage, exclusivity, those
2: type of things. Territory. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, yeah, you know, not that much has changed really. When yeah. you know, you know, ultimately, you know, the the, the, the important things are still the important things. The scope of um, rights that labels want now can be a lot wider. Right. Uh, Obviously, non record uh, rights or income streams. So that's obviously become more of a factor. But yeah, it's essentially uh, similar
0: what you're referring to there is that related to 360 deals i've seen more yeah. about and only really from an artist's perspective this idea of a, of a 360 deal being something that's maybe great for a label but not good for an artist is that true
2: that's right yes i mean you know you you really don't want all of your sort of money going into the same pot to recoup a payment that you've received from a record label you know ideally you want to do, have separate income streams available and uh, and ultimately, you know, some of those people say a record label, for example, might not have the expertise in live, but, you know, they're still mm. trying to take shares of that income to obviously support the lower returns that they have. Mm. How, how does that work
0: then with the 360 deal, Steve, in terms of where the money goes and how it gets portioned out?
2: Um, well, it, it depends on the type of deal you're doing, um, but the, the label may want... Uh, a lower share, you know, know, 10 20% or whatever of of non-record incomes like live and merchandise and branding type income. You know, you can then, it's an argument about whether that's payable as a separate income stream, which is not, you know, doesn't go into the pot with the recording uh, expenses. So it's not paying off the recordings. So, I mean, that's obviously still fairly common with major labels, you know, that's still... A big uh, issue with major labels, and not so much with the independents.
1: Well, in that case, Steve, would you tie, if you were going to do a three sixty, would you tie them into some kind of tour support?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to, you have to. It's all it's all about looking at the overall, you know, offer. You know, if it's just a land grab by the um, the record label, then you know you're going to be more reluctant to do it. But you know, if the label are saying, "Well, we're going to invest this and we're going to pay this and tour support and um x y and z then you know you can kind of look at it in in the rounds you know and it may you may be willing to make some kind of concession on that yeah
1: i mean you can understand um, that a bit more
2: can't you if they're, if they're paying just it. paying you you know a thousand pounds advance and they <laughs> yeah. want you know 25 yeah. percent of your merchandise then you're not going to want to do that. yeah aside
0: from 360 deals what are the differences between some of the more common types of deals an artist might be presented with
2: well, I think if you know when you're starting out and if you're dealing with like smaller labels, you're probably going to be dealing with predominantly like 50-50 bills. So, you know, like 50% of the income that the label receives after they pay all of the expenses, which includes not just the recording costs but all the manufacturing, distribution, and promotion costs as well. So they're more of a simple, straightforward um arrangement where Whereas, if you're dealing with the major record companies, they are generally going to be paying you on a royalty basis. So mm. you get a percentage of the dealer price of the record. Yeah. Um, but you're recouping less costs. So you're just recouping the recording costs as your advance.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, did you want to ask a bit about sampling?
0: Yeah, this is a question, actually, um, it kind of came up in a class the other day. So I teach um, a few modules here where we we spend time working on sampling. We focus primarily on the kind of the musical, creative, technical side of working with samples. But a question that um, students frequently ask is around the legality of sampling. And, oh, I thought sampling was illegal or it's not something that you can do because you have copyright problems with it and I wondered if you could give us a legal perspective on
2: sampling. Well the basic position is if, if you take somebody's recording you're sampling that recording and the song that's on that recording. If you just replay it then you're still sampling the song and both of those things need to be cleared otherwise you're going to open yourself up to claims of infringement of copyright. Um, whether those claims would be successful um, depends on whether you, whether those you know, samples actually infringe the copyright, which they may do not just because of how much you've taken, but the qualitative amount of what you've taken. So if you've taken a tiny part of a song, which is the hook of the song, and the rest of it's yours, it's still gonna be an infringement of copyright. Um Yeah. You know, not just even though it's only a tiny part. So you can't just get away with saying, oh, I just took a tiny part. That's okay.
1: So it's not it's not really don't do it. It's if you are going to do it, ensure you've got clearance to use it. Because there's a lot of great tracks that are based around samples that get clearance that we'd never have heard. Mm. Uh, and hip hop started through doing sampling. It's just make sure you go down the legal route if you're going to, after you've got your, your idea to. I think so. Yeah.
2: Because ultimately, you're going to end up having to give a lot more away of your own song if you don't clear it in advance, because your song might actually be 75% yours and 25% the person you're sampled, but if you haven't cleared it, that person's just going to say, well, I want 100%, otherwise, you know, you can't put it out or I'm going to see you.
1: So, Steve, I'm going to ask you the big Piers Morgan-style question. You know when he gets his guests in front of him and he and, he, and they go, oh, Piers, no, not that one, Piers. Why had to bring that one up? So, right, you'll have done some pretty big deals in your career, Steve. Now, naming no names, what was the biggest one? Oh, you don't have to mention figures, whichever
2: way you want to do it. I, I kind of, I feel, I always feel reluctant to talk about this only simply because the you know i've done some big deals which you know when, when people talk about big deals they generally talk about the advance do, that, yeah. that was received when they signed the agreement and i've done those seven sometimes people. not everything though is it yeah exactly i mean you know and i've done those deals with the seven bigger advances but i would never say they were the best deals that i've done you know there's very rarely free money it comes at, it comes with uh, a huge well,
1: a huge caveat doesn't it the bigger it gets
2: yeah and you know and, it, and my experience really is um, a lot of those, you know, a lot of those big deals don't go anywhere, you know, they're overhyped and, you know, there's yeah. enormous pressure on the artist and, uh, you know, they, they don't happen, whereas I think some of the more successful acts have actually been signing very modest deals.
1: Yeah, and, and then slowly built on that as each deal came along, came to the end of the term. and Yeah, case- and,
2: and I said, you know, you know, it's obviously I've represented my client, but, you know, the, you know, your, the royalties you're getting paid and when you might get your rights back, you know, those kind of issues are um, at least as important. Well,
1: exactly, because we there's the Taylor Swift thing at the minute, isn't there, where she wanted her rights to her catalogue back. I think Scooter then signed them to another big company and she was very upset because she didn't even get offered them and I think
2: now she's re-recording all her own back catalogue there is a problem in the, in the US, I think, because of that, because of the way lawyers charge, because they're on percentages. They take a percentage of the deal right. rather than charging the fee. And I've seen some terrible examples of big advances and horrific deals. So they're you know, hyping know, the deal up because of the percentage, yeah, it's like football
1: agents almost.
2: Yeah, it's just like, negotiate the advance and forget the rest. In America, music, lawyers
1: can frequently end up managing the clients. Is that something you've ever been interested in?
2: Yeah, I've uh, I've um, dabbled, say, oh. um, over the years once or twice. But uh, it's uh, you know I I don't envy managers. I have to say it's it's um it's a it's a lot of work. It's a big job, uh, often for little reward. So you know um, I think uh, I think I should stick with uh, being a, a lawyer. Though there are you know, there's, there are lots of good examples of um, lawyers who have become successful yeah. managers.
1: and uh, you know, good them. We've got students that have shown an interest in music law here at Spirit Studios, and we've even had past students um, that have actually moved on into working at music law firms after their degree. What would your advice be to those showing an interest in the legal side of the industry?
2: Personally, I would go to somewhere where you would learn about um, Things other than music, but, you know, to get a broader training, right? As possible. and you know, I, I think that that would be my advice because you know, it's kind of otherwise, it's very limiting, and then you kind of only know one thing. i go to, you know, one of the bigger uh, media and entertainment firms where you can be involved in lots of different things. You know, to get a you know a general grounding.
1: Yeah, because I noticed with where you are, you're up right there with Stale and Gill Davis. They do everything from, um. Mm-hmm. You know, entertainment, music, sports right across, litigation, all sorts of stuff, don't they?
2: Exactly, yeah. So I, I think that's definitely the best thing to do. I think it would make you um, a better all-round lawyer as
1: well. Thank yeah. you. And I think, I think Al wanted to ask you quickly about uh, looking into your crystal ball about the
0: future of cryptocurrencies, didn't you, Al? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I saw a, um, over the last month or so, I've been reading more about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Yeah. Which uses blockchain technology, which is associated with cryptocurrency. You know, and it was to sell things like digital art and, and digital music, which I found really interesting. And the buzz around it is that the money goes straight to the artist. Kings of Leon released their new album as an NFT, and Grimes sold like, millions of dollars worth of digital art as an NFT. Is this something that you've been looking into and has been, uh, you've sort of dealt with before?
2: Yeah, no, I've got a couple of those things going on at the moment. It's it's a really interesting area and um, one which, you know, I think, you know, there's going to be, it's going to be more difficult if you're signed to one of the sort of, uh, you know, broader major record label agreements. Uh, You know, it does depend on your deal, but, you know, there's going to be a greater chance that, you know, those rights may fall under the deal you're going to need the major companies clearance all right mm. you know, otherwise you know these things are always going to be something that you know you need to look to negotiate and keep out of deals for the future and something that you're able to deal with yourself for sure what do you feel about that whole sort of uh,
1: blockchain thing like that sort of immediate payment thing steve do you think that's something that can take off you know streams getting immediately played straight to the artist cuts getting immediately divvied up and sent electronically as soon as almost like as soon as they're you know registered
2: well i, mean, I, I guess anything's possible Maybe i think it's quite early isn't it to yeah. tell how it's going to really pan out but i think one thing be sure is that the labels will be trying to lock it down pretty uh pretty as they've done
1: yeah brilliant steve listen thanks very much for joining us and giving us your time and experience today as part of the spirit studios music industry series uh, we really appreciate it mate thank you All right, Steve, thank you. Speak to you soon, Steve. Thanks a lot.
0: Bye. Bye Bye-bye. So thanks again to Stephen for chatting with David and I and taking the time to share his insights on the legal side of the music industry. If this conversation has got you interested in learning more about working in the music industry, then you may want to check out the Music Business and Creative Industries degree course that we offer at Spirit Studios. To find out the details about this degree, as well as more information on all of our courses, then please visit us at our website at spiritstudios.ac.uk. Cheers.